0: Hello there, my name is Stuart Ferney and I want to welcome you to my series of reflections on characters and themes in some of my favourite films. I will also present thoughts on a handful of literary works, and there may be the odd vaguely philosophical piece as well. On this occasion I will be discussing characters and themes in Bergman's famed 1957 work, in which a Swedish knight returning from the Crusades questions his faith in God and the direction he has taken in life. Antonius Bloch is a Swedish knight returning home from the Crusades with his faithful squire and right-hand man, Jons. We join them as they wake up on a rocky beach looking out onto a vast expanse of water and the personification of death arrives to take Bloch, but Bloch persuades death to delay his mission while they play a game of chess over the coming days. We will follow Bloch as he and Jöns continue their journey home and encounter a variety of people and situations in the process, and we will be invited to reflect upon themes such as faith, religious views and their impact on society, the effect of experience and thought on belief, the nature of happiness, and nothing less than what is meaningful in life. The opening scenes involving death and the game of life and death he plays with Bloch, encapsulated by chess as it involves planning, challenge and purpose, brilliantly set the framework, tone and purpose of the film. In this concept film, presented in a historical context to help clarify his themes, writer and director Bergman presents his ideas through characters who are rich and colourful enough to engage our interest, but who exist principally to illustrate the points he wishes to make. Antonius Bloch has been described as disillusioned and his squire Jöns as cynical. But I would suggest they merit closer and more precise evaluation, and even that these characters complement one another to such an extent, and are so intrinsically connected, that together they form one complete whole. Briefly, Bloch represents the spiritual and directional element of human understanding and experience, while Jöns tends to what is practical and physical. When conversing with death... Bloch states that his body is ready for death, but he, meaning his spirit or soul, is not. Essential to this spirituality is his belief in God, but Bloch has started to question his faith. This is verbalised in later scenes, but this issue is clear from the opening scenes on the beach, when Bloch begins to pray and we see that his eyes are open and he lowers his hands, indicating his doubts. Doubts that will have a devastating effect on his outlook on life. Indeed, the rocky beach looking out onto a vast expanse of water may possibly suggest that they are on the border of what is known and unknown and perhaps represents Bloch's equally rocky mental state and anguish over the breach between known experience and uncertain faith. Jones cannot really be described as cynical as he is not self-interested and does not reject integrity or humanity to pursue his own ends. He may be disillusioned and disappointed by the conduct of some of his fellow men but he applies standards of humanity and justice in his dealings with others, saving an apparently mute girl from rape and stopping the humiliation and abuse of Juf, an actor of whom we will hear more shortly. It is essential to note that Jöns does not require biblical or ecclesiastical authority for his actions. He applies a moral code based on humanity and common sense, but Bloch seeks more. He seeks the assurance and validation of a higher authority, that of God and the fact he has started to lose his faith in God's existence causes him real existential angst. There are several passages in which Bloch, whose name it is tempting to think may be inspired by so-called writer's block but applied to faith, vividly describes his longing for a sign of God's existence as perceived through his senses, rather than having to depend on promises and talk of miracles, a situation that clearly pains him greatly. His entire outlook is built upon belief, and he has devoted years of his life, abandoning his beloved wife in the process, to a cause whose whole validity he now questions. He desperately wants to believe, but experience has led to reflection and a loss of faith. In the course of their travels, Bloch and Jöns encounter a variety of people whose lives are influenced to varying degrees by religious beliefs of the time, superstition, ignorance and doubt. Bloch and Jens will often react, but on some occasions we, the audience, are left to draw our own conclusions. They meet a small group of itinerant entertainers, Jöf, Mia, their toddler son Mikael and Jonas Skat, who appear light-hearted and relatively happy with their lot. Jöf and his small family are unburdened by matters of commerce, society, doubt or guilt. They simply offer their performance and move on, depending only on one another and are happy with that. They are content, optimistic and relatively untainted by issues, anxieties and problems faced by town dwellers, whose outlook is soured by fears of the plague, its effects on their livelihoods and superstitions and myths arising from the spread of the plague, potentially leading to the end of the world. We learn that this small troop of players has been hired by priests to play death and the human spirit at the upcoming All Saints Festival in order to frighten people and presumably drive them toward the clergy. This contrasts somewhat with the relatively pure and innocent outlook of Jöf and Co. Jöf even has visions, and we share one which may suggest the simplicity and beauty of their religious stance, an idealised view of the Virgin Mary walking with her toddler, Jesus. Perhaps this quality of purity appeals to the pious Bloch, who will eventually invite Jöf and his family to join him and Jens on their journey to his estate. His encounter with them and their simple and obvious love for one another causes him to think of his beloved wife and the life they had together, a life he abandoned through faith and a call to the Crusades, reasons he has come to regret. Perhaps seeing them and their happiness together gives him hope for the future. When Bloch and Jöns arrive at a village, Bloch goes to a church and Jöns comes across a dance of death, with graphic depictions of plague-related horrors being painted on the wall of a hall, including one section of the mural depicting a group of people indulging in self-flagellation, in an attempt to apologise to and appease God in view of man's guilt and the assumption God sent the plague as a punishment. The reason for these awful images? To remind people life is short and once again to frighten them and drive them towards a clergy, but also perhaps to encourage them to do something of value before their time is up. Shortly afterward, just such a group of self-flagellators passes through the town to the visible distress of the inhabitants and our group of actors. No comment is made or is required as we recoil in horror at this extreme effect of contemporary religious thought and we are more or less invited to ask ourselves if this really could be God's will and what purpose their pain is truly serving, especially if Bloch's doubts are correct and God does not exist. This spectacle has little effect on Ewan's, who appears to regard this as just another story or religious interpretation among the many he has seen and heard. Ever the pragmatic man, Jens seems keen to get on with life and attaches no great importance to philosophy or religion. While Jens investigated the dance of death, Bloch sought a church and makes his confession to a figure he takes to be a priest. This scene is essential to our understanding of Bloch, his issues and his spiritual pain. He confirms his spiritual obsession and disillusion, describing his indifference to his fellow man, a quality overtaken by Jens perhaps, His desire to believe in God and his overwhelming desire to gain knowledge of God through his senses rather than depend on nebulous faith, half-promises and perceived miracles. This question has come to govern his life and he goes so far as to suggest that without God's existence life is nothing but a preposterous horror filled with nothingness and that God may only be an idol built around our fear of nothingness. Clearly he fears his time on earth may have served no good purpose. Upon realising he has made his confession to death, who remains keen to fulfil his stated mission, Bloch asks for a respite so he may try to produce at least one meaningful act before he leaves. On leaving the church, Bloch encounters a girl in stocks who is condemned to be burned at the stake for consorting with the devil, the consequence of fear, ignorance, assumption and resultant superstition of the time. Bloch is keen to speak to her as, having failed to make progress with God, He seeks answers from one who apparently has knowledge of the devil. Eventually, after a further encounter with the girl when she is about to be burned, Bloch will come to the conclusion the devil is a figment of imagination, confirming and redoubling his anxiety about life and its meaning. At one point, Jans seeks fresh water in a hamlet and comes across an unscrupulous chap who steals from corpses and is about to rape a girl, advising her not to bother screaming as there is no one and no God to hear her. Jans recognises the man as Raval, a former monk who persuaded Bloch to pursue his honourable mission to the Holy Land. However, Raval has clearly not just lost his faith in God, but has lost all sense of morality and common decency as a result. He has become a common thief and a villain. Jans saves the girl and threatens Raval, displaying a code of honour and decency based on humanity and showing he is not necessarily dependent on God or his existence for direction and validation. Interestingly, Yerns makes advances towards a girl but accepts her rejection, suggesting that in any case he is tired of mere physical love, which he finds dry and perhaps lacking. Jens, rather like Bloch, is apparently seeking something of greater depth and perhaps more spiritual. Yerns goes on to apply a form of moral blackmail, suggesting the girl owes him her life and should accompany him as his housekeeper an offer she reluctantly accepts and which perhaps illustrates the spirit of feudal servitude and personal bondage which appertained in medieval times. In a tavern, we meet several townsfolk whose conversation and anxieties reflect attitudes and thought of the time. They discuss the practical effects of the plague on their businesses and mix this with dubious religious views and superstition, all augmenting fear and apprehension and encouraging them to reach false conclusions due to ignorance, and a desire to understand and find a solution. In this atmosphere of fear and insecurity, Raval tries to sell a bracelet he stole from a corpse to Yuff, and eventually stirs trouble for him, inciting the gathered group to humiliate Yuff and perhaps do him real harm. In a tactic used elsewhere in history, Raval attempts to deflect attention from himself onto an innocent outsider, and his efforts are well received by the crowd, who may regard this situation as a means of relieving their own anxiety and forgetting their own problems and pain by promoting pain and problems for others. This pack mentality, initiated and led by the villainous Raval, is brought to an abrupt halt by the arrival of Jöns, who applies his standard of humanity and fairness and marks Raval as a villain, as he warned him he would do if he saw him again. As they make their way through the woods, using his visionary gift, Jöf manages to see Bloch playing chess with death, and leaves the group quite furtively with Mia and little Mikael, while Bloch distracts Death's attention. Bloch has thus fulfilled his desire to complete a meaningful act before his own death. It would seem, then, that in the face of a godless and meaningless existence, substance and meaning are lent to life if one does something to help others. Accepting the inevitability of his fate, Bloch asks Death to reveal his secrets and knowledge, upon which Death replies, perhaps a little puzzled, that he has no secrets and he is unknowing. There is no knowledge or understanding to impart. Once in his home and when death comes to collect Bloch and his entourage, Bloch persists in desperation in asking God for mercy, while realist Yerns points out there is no one to hear him. In the face of imminent death, the supposedly mute girl aided by Jöns wears an enigmatic little smile and utters, almost in relief, it is finished. Perhaps she feels her feudal life of servitude was not worth continuing. And this contrasts markedly with the final shots of Joëf and Mia, whose optimism and appreciation of life are due in no small part to their shared love and apparent freedom from social anxiety, superstition, overthinking and the creation of issues and problems that need not exist, perhaps. I have to confess I approached this film with considerable apprehension. I have had the DVD in my collection for some years, but I resisted watching it as I thought of it as an arthouse film whose symbolism and metaphor would be beyond me. But to my great surprise, I found the film quite accessible and I would thoroughly recommend it. I found a direction and intelligent, literate script richly thought-provoking and rewarding, while the performances were uniformly engaging and at times touching. My thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I hope you found it of some value. Please join me again soon for a discussion of more films and books.